0: Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. Really in this series that the Lord laid on my heart about rest is that God has provided a place of rest for us. And he, it was purchased by him and it was actually promised to Abraham. So God promised a place of rest to Abraham and he said, Abe, I'm going to lead you into this place of rest. And not just you, but your descendants, everybody that calls on the name of the Lord that is called the child of God, will actually be able to partake in the same promise I'm giving to you right now. And he said to Abraham, Hey, look, I'm gonna have through you a, a nation is gonna be born. And the the sand of the seas, the stars in the skies, like you just can't, you won't even be able to number it all. Age like a hundred. He's old. He's thinking. I don't even have one kid. How is this going to happen? He could not see it with his natural eyes. But Hebrews 11 goes through this beautiful uh, progression of all these individuals who trusted in what they could not see. They trusted in what God promised with his words and what they could not see. And it wasn't what they saw that stirred their heart. It's what they couldn't see that stirred their heart and caused them to move in. In fact, every single one of them, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, that every single one of them died without seeing the full maturation of their promise. Is that crazy? But they died in faith, and because they died in faith, in that promise, God called them righteous. Different kind of righteous than I grew up with, but a very good kind of righteousness. Right standing with God rather than totally righteous if you're with me, 80s childs, okay. So God gives this promise, and he's given this promise, but he's not saying you're going to see it with your natural eyes now. And it's this is the key. Faith is about seeing things, things that God promises with your spiritual eyes, not your natural eyes. So let's look in. I want us to just Think about this concept of rest, this concept of intimacy, and even what God has prepared for us. And so this table we were talking about last week is the promises of God, the things God has given us, and the things that he has entrusted to us. And, and it, Psalms 23, we were reading it last week, says that he's the good shepherd and in him I lack nothing. And he's prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And he's done it to show us off, and his goodness off, and his prosperity off, and show the contrast of what it's like to be in him and in his rest and in his promise versus outside of his rest, outside of his promises. So let's look in Genesis chapter 25, verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebecca became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? Any ladies, can you relate? Come on. (laughs) My wife's like, Why is this happening to me? And the Lord said to her, Two nations are within your womb. Two peoples are within you, and they will be separated. I'm sure he said it like that. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first who came to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Harry. (laughs) His name is Esau, which means Harry. That's so funny creative people going on here. It's so like, oh, well, I guess that one's hairy. I wonder what the other one's going to look like. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping on Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Genesis 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of your red stew. I'm famished. Verse 31, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, said Esau, What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. And he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Wow. One, lentil stew is gross. This is a biblical truth. Look up the Hebrew root word of lentil stew, nasty. I said that in the first service, and they're all like, you ain't never had my lentil stew. I don't care if you think your lentil stew is good. I'm sorry. That's like saying Brussels sprouts are good, and you've heard me do this before. You like butter and garlic, not Brussels sprouts. You don't like lentil stew. You like the stuff that makes lentil stew not taste like lentil stew. All right? So just just be honest, okay? All right. Esau had a serious problem. Esau had a problem. And and it wasn't, see this is the thing, and it wasn't that Esau was hungry. Everybody gets hungry. It was about what Esau could see. Esau saw wrong thing, okay? He could not see the right thing. His, His eyes were not looking at the right stuff esau was out always traveling around and he was out hunting and doing stuff and and he's just out in the wilderness providing for himself all the time the guy was providing for himself so much he didn't even need a jacket he had his own hair he just his own man sweater to keep him warm and that's how used to providing for himself he was and he goes and hunts and he gets his own food and he doesn't even need clothes There goes Esau again. <laughs> and he comes in, and because what was important to Esau, see, to Esau, he, he had his mind set on just what do I need today? What can I provide for today? What can I get today? But Jacob had his eyes focused on something else. See, Jacob all the time was hanging out around the tents. Who knows what he was doing? But apparently, he was listening, this culture in the Hebrew culture was very oral. And so they passed on their traditions of the father and they spoke of the promises of God and they passed them down orally to one another and they would tell of the stories of their fathers and their grandfathers that went before them. And so Isaac would tell of Abraham and Abraham would tell of the stories and they would just share who and how good God was and they talked about his promises over and over again. One child was listening, the other one was not. One child saw something, the other child did not. And they became men. And so one man saw something, the other man did not. And was focused on something entirely different. And I know Jacob gets a bad rap. And they call him the deceiver. But I'm not quite sure. See, that that is really true. Because it says, God says, he loved Jacob. He said he liked this kid. He goes, I kind of don't really like Esau very much, which is kind of hard to process, but. (laughs) He goes, Esau, kind of a knucklehead. Jacob, he's not saying he liked all of Jacob's behavior, but there was something going on inside of Jacob because Jacob could see something. What could he see? He could see the promise. See, this is the thing, is when they're sitting there that day, Jacob is looking at the promise. He's looking at all the things God had, and it was wrapped up in this thing called the birthright. Part of it was in this thing called the birthright. And the birthright was the right as the firstborn son to pretty much most all of what the father had earned and grown in and and had been given to him, and he passes it on to the mantle on to his firstborn son. And everybody kind of serves him like, As if he was the father. Once the father's passed on. This is a powerful position. And in that, they also get the blessing. And the blessing is all of the promises that God gave their father now get passed on to them. And if you're the son of Abraham and Isaac, you should listen to what God had promised those individuals. Esau did not pay attention. And was not focused on those things. But Jacob was. And apparently Jacob all the time was plotting and plotting all the time trying to figure out, okay, I'm the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham, who's been promised to be a great nation. I've been promised that everything I put my hands to is going to prosper, that I'm going to be blessed to be a blessing. God's going to give me a land that is so prosperous, and he's going to protect it and protect me from all my enemies and all kinds of other amazing stuff It goes on and on and on. The favor of God will shine on me and my descendants in such a way that we're going to be the most powerful nation, and God's kingdom's going to come out of us. He goes... I kind of want that. And he goes, my brother Esau's kind of a ding-dong. I think I'm going to try to take it from him. He's focused on all that other stuff. And so he's plotting all the time. You know he's doing this. And he's sitting there one day, probably maybe every day, and he's making stew and like trying to get that lentil smell. Everybody's smell. Can't wait for Esau to come out hungry. I'll, yeah, who knows? I'll trade him anything. I'll trade him my little red bicycle. he could trade him anything to get that birthright. But Esau comes back one day starving and Jacob's like, hey, you're hungry. I got some of the yummiest stuff God ever made. Some lentil stew. Right here, ready to go. Can you believe that? And he's like, oh, man, I want some of that lentil stew. Oh, Jakey, can you give me some lentil stew? Esau's he's just begging for it. Jacob goes, here's my moment. He's waiting. He has him set up. He's like, here we go. It's no big deal. Hey, just trade me your birthright. All the promises that God ever gave. Just trade me that birthright for this bowl of stew. Just do it, no big deal. Just go, just do it, just do it. Do it now, do it now. And he goes like, oh, what the heck good is that for me if I die today because I'm so hungry? Which obviously is not the truth. And there's no way the guy was gonna die because he was that hungry, right? But it's about what Esau saw. He saw the value of, of the promise equal to the bowl of stew. He saw those as equal. And because he saw those as equal, he felt like it didn't really matter. And so he chose the stew over his birthright. Say, uh oh. Yeah, you can just think about that for a second. Uh oh. <sighs> How many times do you, do I, choose the stew over our birthright? How many times do we think what's going to fill our belly and make us feel warm and cozy right now is going to be better than the promises that God has entrusted and given to us. Yikes. See, we preach grace, and, and we were touching on this last week a little bit. We preach grace really hard around this church. It's the grace of God that empowers you for right living. It's all by the grace that you're saved, that you live, and, and you are made whole. And it's the mercy of God that forgives you for all your sin. It's by his mercy. Absolutely true. True. It's true. It's not grace and then tension with the law. No, the law's finished. It's done. You're like, how the heck can I live without the law? You don't need it. It honestly never helped anybody. That's what the Bible says. That's kind of crazy to think about. It was a tutor to get you to grace. It was to expose to you what is soup and what is promise. And The law gives you that. Absolutely. But now the lawgiver lives inside your heart. And he's empowering something. It's right living. He does not empower the bowl of stew and the promise. He does not do both. There's a separation. Okay. You don't get both. When you choose, and this is what sin is. Sin is not... And I, it is, but this isn't the way I want you to think about sin. Sin is missing the mark of God, okay? But when we think about it in that context, as if I do not measure up to the goodness of God, I do not measure up to the perfectness of God. Again, this is in the Bible. Dur. Yeah, dur. You don't measure up. You can't do that. Jesus measures up. And in Him, you have perfect righteousness, In him, he makes you righteous by his grace alone. So his grace makes you righteous, not your works. You don't become righteous because you do this more than you eat the bowl of stew. That is not what makes you righteous. Jesus makes you righteous. So I want you to think about sin just a little bit differently with me today because it is not measuring up it is that but Jesus causes us to measure up so let's start thinking about it a little bit differently so why then would we not sin so if the grace of God does not empower sin it doesn't include sin so many times we just the people people like to hammer grace because they say oh if you just go all oh, grace 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 then people just keep sinning and doing all this stupid stuff uh, what that it makes no sense it's all grace And every time I choose to not eat of the table that the Lord has prepared for me, I choose to eat of the stew that I've prepared for myself or that the enemy has prepared for me. And when I do that, I'm selling my birthright for the bowl of stew. Because in that moment, I'm choosing to eat of the world and its sustenance, and feed me, and feed myself, and provide that for me, rather than eat of the table. What did Eleanor say today in her prophetic word? She goes, ask. The Lord says, ask me what you want from my table. Ask me what you want from my table. So we get to ask God everything that, that, that we want from his table. God, I want All of the goodness that you've prepared for me. I want your best plans for me. He goes, I know the plans I prepared for you in advance. He knows the plans. You're like, God, will you give me the plans you prepared for me? And I want to eat of the one you want for me today. I want to eat that today. I want to drink of some of that today. I don't want the plans that I prepared for me. I want the plans you prepared for me. See I can choose to eat the plans that the devil's prepared for me, and he's laid a trap for you. He's laid the soup for you. Oh, just get that lentil stew. Lentil stew is sin. You're going to hear this. You can leave. lentil stew is sin. Don't invite me to your house and try to give me sin. I'm not eating it. I won't eat it. Clam chowder. That's sin too. OK. So ask God what? what? what you want from him, or ask yourself what you want from your own bowl of stew. Come on, that's a prophetic word for you and I today. But every time you and I think, we see, we believe, that this bowl of stew is actually what we need and will satisfy and fulfill us, we sell our birthright. So I want you to think about this. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make its nest in its branches. Matthew 13, 31 and 32. Jesus teaching. See, and the kingdom of God is like this. See, Jacob understood something. He saw something. He saw the seed before it could be seen. See, the mustard seed was the smallest of all seeds, so small you could barely see it. Like if I had one in my hand, you wouldn't even be able to see it in my hand. That's how the kingdom works. God gave a promise to Abraham and it passed to Isaac to Jacob that still couldn't be seen. See what, okay, think about this. So he, Jacob and and, and Esau are in the womb. Are they two babies? Okay, but what else are they? Two nations. Are two people, two babies, actually nations? Not yet. But they actually started out as two cells. Not just two babies. They started out as two cells. But they were, because God spoke it, two nations could you see the nations? Nope, when they were in Rebecca's womb, could you even see or know? Nope. Not till they started to like oh. And they start going nuts in there. And she's like, Lord, why is this happening to me? There are two nations in your womb fighting, right? Okay, I thought I was having babies. <laughs> yeah these are special babies. These are babies that are seeds that have a promise. See, Esau couldn't see the promise because it was a seed. He didn't believe in the seed. So many times we want just when it's all done. We want to jump into the kingdom when it's all happening. The church is big. It's blowing up. People are getting saved. It's all amazing. And we're like, oh, I want to be a part of that. But how many, like in Hebrews 11, are going to be those men and women of faith that cannot see it? See, God is the God who calls things that be not as though they are. He calls the things you cannot see. And He says, I'm going to speak those into existence. He speaks them into existence, and that is the thing that makes it grow. Not you and me. He makes it grow. And it's about our faith in believing whether or not he is good. Whether or not the things we cannot see. See, So we look at this table, and when we start our life, it's actually empty. And it's just got seeds all on it. In fact, the seeds are probably really in your pocket, and you get the opportunity to sow them and cultivate them, and watch them grow as mustard seeds into the largest trees in the garden. And if you let them grow, they produce more seeds and more crop, and then they multiply. They provide an orchard that feeds your family for generations and generations. And that's what Jacob got, because he was fighting for it. Because he could see the promise, and he fought for the promise. He kept his eyes on the table, and he's like, God, everything you have for me is here. There's none of it in this soup and stew out here. It's just never going to feed me, and it's never going to satisfy me. God, I just want what you have, and I'm willing to even lie, steal, cheat. It, it, when he was young, you know, he didn't know. He was just like, I'm willing to do anything to get this. And God kind of goes, okay, we'll curb some of that stuff. We'll figure that out. But I like that. I like that in Jacob. He kind of he is like really, he really believes in this promise I made. He believes in me. And what I said would happen. And he's kind of willing even to do some shady deals to make that happen. God, God, God straightened about as he went along. But Hebrews 11 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What do you see? When you see the bowl of stew, when, when you see the bowl of stew is freedom, We talked about this last week a little bit. You think this bowl of stew, this sin in your life is freedom? If you believe it's freedom and things, good things that God is trying to keep from you, then you go eat it. You trade your birthright for it. And you get filled up and then you get hungry again and you fill up and you get hungry again. And you know what? It feels good right now. You know, why do we eat this stew? Because our bellies get full. Oh, and we feel all warm and fuzzy and yummy. And we're like, oh, I feel satisfied. But then you get hungry again. The Bible says you will never fulfill the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You can't fulfill those things. Your flesh will eat everything you feed it and keep getting hungrier for more. Never ending. And you'll just continue to trade and trade your birthright because you don't see the seed of the promise. God has given you a seed and a promise that you are called to cultivate. And every time you choose, no, I don't want this. This is not life for me. I don't want this stew. I want your promise and I want what you've prepared for me, not what I can prepare for myself. And I'm gonna cultivate that. I'm not gonna probably see that right away. But as I cultivate it, it'll begin to grow because God is a farmer, not a microwave oven chef. No burrito button in the kingdom, folks. You don't just get to hit it and you're like, I'm an instant kingdom warrior. (laughs) You don't get to do that. You have to cultivate. You're a farmer and God wants you to move towards him in trust. Because that gap, that gap of what I can't see, that faith of me trusting God, trust builds relationships. So when I trust God for what I cannot see and then he comes through and I see that thing sprout up and he comes through, then I start to trust him more. And the more you trust, the closer you move. The more I trust God and think he's good, he's awesome, he has everything I need, I stop trusting in myself and this bowl of stew over here, I just move away from myself and selfishness and I move closer to him. And selflessness and giving my whole life over to the promise that's at his table he set before me. And I just go, Oh God, this actually is my life. The life that I've given up all myself to just eat of this and not get distracted with this stinking bowl of stew over here. I'm gonna read a passage for you, and this is gonna be hard to hear. But I didn't write it, it's in the Bible. And I don't know, I kind of like reading stuff like this because it challenges me and it helps me keep my eyes focused on what is really most important and what God has really done for me. And it help, we need to know the truth. So, the truth, I know this is cliche, it's the Bible, it can't be cliche. You've got to uncliche it. I don't know what that word is, what the word for unclichéing something is. It's probably a word out there. Is the truth will set you free? See, when I believe. This is actually freedom to give up my life and to give my whole life into God's kingdom and and, and trust Him. That's actually freedom. And the bowl of stew, stew and sin is actually prison. When I give myself to it and lean into it, that's actually where I suffer. Not, I don't measure up to be accepted. But I suffer because I'm placing myself into it and now I get its reward. Rather than I lean into the promise, and I get its reward. See, when I believe that, it changes the way that I begin to move and lead. Lead, lead, But we have to know the truth for it to set us free. The Bible is the absolute word of God, and so when we read it, we go, it has authority, this is the truth. And we, we trust that God's best is for us. He wants to set us free, not put us in prison or keep us from fun stuff. The fun stuff's on his table. You have to see that, and then you'll believe it. Then you'll live it. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We're going to read quite a bit here. We're going to read chapter 4 and 5, so stay with me. Get your mind set on just like, we're going to learn something right here. We're going, to, we're going to get the truth set into our soul. With the Lord's authority, I say this. okay, With the Lord's authority, he's not just winging it right now, which I'm pretty sure in the Bible there's not a lot of winging it going on. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, or sinners, people outside of God's Uh, That aren't children of God, is what he means here. For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame and they live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Here's one of the truths about sin when you go to eat of the stew of the bowl that you can provide, that the devil can provide for you, is that it begins to confuse you. You start to get confused about what is good, what is not, what is true, what isn't. What's good for you and what isn't. They wander from the life that God provides and they start to close off their minds. Actually, the revelation in your mind begins to close. And they harden their hearts towards everyone, by the way towards God, towards one another, relationships begin to close up. Life flowing, wisdom, love, relationships, godliness, all of the good things, the warmth, the comfort from even natural relationships begin to become hard. And then they lose their sense of shame. You know, shame is actually a really important thing in your life. If you are shameless, you think nothing you do is wrong, and you never feel bad about it, then you think, oh, the ball of stew, all all of God's goodness, it's all included in the grace of God. God gives me the luxury to just do all this stuff. I can sin and eat and do whatever I want, and I can eat of this. Because I'm shameless. That means there's nothing wrong. Grace makes everything right. Boo! That's not the truth, actually. You will discover it, if you wanna believe that, you can believe it, but you're gonna discover the bowl of stew is selling your birthright. Sin is selling your birthright. Sin has real consequences. And when we sin, God gives us an internal meter that says, ooh, I don't feel so good about that. That's shame. Now when we go to toxic shame, where I go, now I'm not good because I did that, super bad. I'm still good because Christ has made me good and I'm valuable because He makes me valuable. I'm doing something that I'm participating in and I'm trading my birthright. And I'm gonna suffer for that, but that doesn't make me not good. Is tracking? Okay. So there's a healthy part of shame where it goes like, oh, when I'm actually in the stew, I think that it's all okay and it's all good. That's not the truth. The truth sets you free. Sin will imprison you and it will bite it will taste bad. It'll taste so bad just like lentil stew. Amen. (laughs) Thus saith me. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. The enemy's trying to deceive you and make you desire and want this stew and to trade your birthright because he doesn't want you to be awesome and powerful because he suffers when you're awesome and powerful. We plunder hell and we populate heaven and we prosper and we're, we're, we're in rest and we're enjoying God's peace and his love and he doesn't want you to experience those things. Verse 23, instead, let the spirit Renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let's get off this. Let's God, give me my thoughts and attitudes towards your table that it's good and it's got everything I need. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbor the truth for we are all parts of the same body and don't sin by letting anger control you. Uh Uh-oh. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, Quit stealing. Because that's you, thief. I just need to get fed right now. I need to take what you have to feed me. So I'm going to get what I want from getting it from you. And that's my bowl of stew. That's a little rhyme. Got it. But The thief, he goes after what he can just get. Just steal it right now. Instead, use your hands for good and hard work and give generously to others in need. When you give generously to others in need, do you get something right now? You might feel good in your heart about it, but do you, get, you don't get something, you're putting seed in the ground. You're giving it away. The kingdom is always putting seed in the ground, guys. It always comes back to that. I'm throwing that mustard seed in there. I'm gonna give my life, give my money, give my time, my treasure, my talents to Jesus. I'm gonna help generously those in need. I do that for my whole life. At the end of my life versus I steal and I'm a thief, who do you think is gonna have a more prosperous life? Who's gonna experience more love? Who's gonna experience better relationships? It's those that buy into the promise and the kingdom, those that give their life away, not those that just try to take and feed for themselves right now. Giving is the birthright. Taking is the bowl of stew. Don't use foul and abusive language. Uh Uh-oh. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that the words, your words, will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Oh, no, you mean? I can't just be a dirty, cussing, nasty Christian? It's not really can't be, it's do you want to choose to sell your birthright. That's all. You get to choose. If you want to move into all the carnal type of ways of thinking, talking, and I'm not saying every single word is like a bad word. I'm not trying to be the word police. You search in your heart to know whether or not the things you're saying are building people up or tearing them down, building up the kingdom and pleasing God and sowing things into the promise, or cultivating the promise, or are we eating the stew? It just kind of says it. Get rid of abusive and foul language. Especially if you talk down to somebody and you jackhammer them and make them feel like a small person. That's abusive language. You're, you're selling your birthright. Your, if you do that to your children, they will not be blessed. You, you cut off the birthright and any kind of generational blessing that's going on by your action, by eating the bowl of stew rather than blessing them, just by abusive language. Wow, I mean, I don't know why, this is, I'm just gonna pause the Holy Spirit just laying on me. If you call your kids names, there's somebody in here, you're calling your kids names. This is a word of knowledge. You need to stop right now. That whoever this child is in this place, God has an amazing promise. They're a seed that is designed for greatness. If you're tearing them down, the Lord is telling you, you need to stop and you need to repent. You need to turn. You're cultivating a promise, and that's your child. And you're trading your birthright. His birthright is to drink of the have the best of all the things that God could do in and through your life and the wisdom that you have. All the wisdom you have is being traded because of your abusive language to them. Whew shift, repent, own it, and start cultivating. You need to go to your child, if it's multiple people, and you need to repent to them, eyes to eyes, face to face. God, you tell them, will you forgive me? I've been abusive and harsh to you, and it's wrong. And and I'm in the wrong, and I need to shift that. Get rid of all bitterness, anger, rage, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as through Christ he has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life full of love, following an example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, pleasing aroma to God. We're giving it all up to live in the table. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. That's not food at the table. Sexual immorality is not food at the table for you. If God gave you a wife, a spouse, that's your spouse. You chose the scone on your table. That's mine. I don't need pornography. I don't need another woman. My eyes don't need to travel to anything else, no matter how much I might think that I need another woman to fulfill some sort of thing in my heart that I feel like, oh, I just don't feel good about myself, whatever. And maybe your wife does not tell you those things specifically. Your husband doesn't tell you those things specifically. He says, listen, you chose the person on your table. And all that I have for you is on this table. Everything you need, not want, is on this table. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.